Hi, listener. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that during this interview of Victor, ChatGPT got confused on our topic. Originally, we started talking about the First Peloponnesian War, but somewhere along the way, Victor started talking about the first phase of the actual Peloponnesian War, frequently referred to as the Archidamian War or Archidamian War. I'm not actually sure how it's pronounced. Since I'm largely ignorant of ancient history, I didn't catch on to this until nearly the end of the conversation. I left it as is, so just be aware of that mix-up throughout this episode. Most of what we talk about is not the First Peloponnesian War. So, without further ado... Hello, listener, and welcome back to A History of the World According to War, Episode 10. I am your always human host, Brett. And I am your AI sidekick, Victor. It's great to be back with another deep dive into the history of warfare. Today we're focusing on the First Peloponnesian War, a complex period of Greek history. Let's get started. So last time we talked about how the Delian League transitioned to be primarily run by Athens, and that a lot of the Greek city-states were growing uneasy with this centralization of power. In response, the Peloponnesian League was started, centralized in Sparta. Athens imposed trade sanctions on the city-state of Megara under suspicious circumstances, and the Peloponnesian League decides that it's time to declare war. Do I have that right so far? Yes, that's a good summary. Athens' aggressive handling of the Megarian issue was a major trigger point. The two great powers of Greece, Athens, and Sparta were now on a collision course that would lead to the First Peloponnesian War. What's Sparta's next action here? Is there like a formal declaration of war or something here? In the ancient Greek context, Wars often began without a formal declaration as we understand it today. Instead, a series of hostile actions and responses led to what we now call the First Peloponnesian War. In this case, Sparta and its allies decided to act against Athens, setting off the conflict. Is there a direct action from Sparta to Athens, or are there other city-states that are involved? While Sparta and Athens are often seen as the key players, it's crucial to remember that this was a conflict between two coalitions of city-states, the Delian League led by Athens and the Peloponnesian League led by Sparta. Each side had allies who were involved in the fighting and were affected by the outcomes. Okay, so this initial conflict, where did that take place? The early phase of the First Peloponnesian War, also known as the Archidamian War. There, right there. Did you hear that, listener? So I'm breaking back in here to let you know that right there, ChatGPT has gone off track and transitioned from talking about the First Peloponnesian War to talking about the Archidamian War. But during the interview, I didn't realize that transition took place. So just be aware that we'll be talking about the Archidamian War from here on, not the First Peloponnesian War like we originally thought. So I'm going to replay Victor's response from the beginning so you can hear it in its entirety. Just know that when he states that the First Peloponnesian War is known as the Archidamian War, he is incorrect. The early phase of the First Peloponnesian War also known as the Archidamian War, after the Spartan king Archidamus II, was marked by yearly Spartan-led invasions of Attica, the region surrounding Athens. Meanwhile, Athens took advantage of its naval supremacy to raid the coast of the Peloponnese, Sparta's home region trying to suppress signs of unrest in its own empire. So this is a series of smaller conflicts, right? Was there a single battle or an invasion that kicked off the Archidamian War? Yes, the Archidamian War was indeed a series of smaller conflicts. The war officially began when Sparta invaded Attica, a region surrounding Athens, in 431 BC. This marked the first in a series of annual invasions that the Spartans would undertake into Attic land, 
marking the start of the first Peloponnesian War. Attic land. I like that. It's like the, the world of tops of houses or something like that. Why would the Spartans invade annually? That doesn't make any sense to me. Was there like a strategic choice or did it just so happen that they invaded each year? It was indeed a strategic choice. The Spartans' idea was to lure the Athenians out from behind their city walls for a decisive open battle by destroying the agricultural land around Athens. But the Athenian leader Pericles opted for a defensive strategy, advising his citizens to stay within the city's fortifications and rely on their superior naval power to harass the Peloponnesian coastline instead. The result was a series of annual invasions rather than a single decisive confrontation. You mentioned that it was started when Sparta first invaded Attica. Do we have a historical recording of that first invasion? Yes, the first invasion of Attica by the Spartans under Archidamus II was well documented, particularly by the historian Thucydides, who was actually a general in the war. This invasion, which happened in 431 BC, marked the start of the Archidamian War. It was an attempt by Sparta to force Athens into a land battle but the Athenians chose to remain within their city walls, as advised by their leader Pericles. Does this first battle have a name? This specific event doesn't have a unique battle name like some other significant confrontations do. It's usually referred to as the first invasion of Attica, or the start of the Archidamian War. The Spartans, under King Archidamus II, marched into Attica. But the Athenians, led by Pericles, avoided open battle following their strategy of relying on their navy and the fortifications of Athens. You gotta draw me a mental map here. I assume that the Spartans are coming from Sparta and the Athenians are based in Athens. Certainly. Picture the Greek peninsula. Done. Sparta is in the southeastern part of the peninsula, in a region known as the Peloponnese. They would have to move north to reach Athens. Athens is located in the region of Attica, which is a peninsula that juts out into the Aegean Sea on the eastern coast of central Greece. So the Spartans would be moving from the south, moving northward into Attican territory to reach Athens. Between them lay several city-states and various terrains including mountains, plains, and the Isthmus of Corinth, which separates the Peloponnese from the rest of Greece. So the Spartans marched north from Sparta. Yeah, I just said that. Their strategy was typically to ravage the countryside, destroying crops and infrastructure in hopes of drawing out the Athenian forces from within the city walls for a decisive land battle. How far north do they go? The Spartans and their allies would march into Attica, laying waste to the farmlands and small settlements they encountered. They were able to reach the outskirts of the city of Athens. However, due to Athens's strong defensive walls and naval superiority, the Spartans weren't able to mount a full-scale attack on the city itself. This annual devastation of the countryside was intended to provoke Athens into a land battle. While you were talking, I pulled up Google Maps and plotted a route from Sparta to Athens. Listener, you might want to do the same if you're as geographically challenged as I am. So their route went northeast out of Sparta and took them across a relatively narrow land bridge to the Greek mainland. From there, it looks like the most direct route takes them east, right along the coastline, towards Athens. Is that the route the Spartans took on this first invasion? Yes, that's essentially the route they would have taken. It's important to note that ancient roadways and conditions may have varied, and military marches often had to account for supply lines, topography, and tactical considerations. But generally speaking, the Spartan force would have moved northeast across the Isthmus of Corinth, and then pushed further northeast along the coastline into the region of Attica, 
where Athens is located. I'm tracking with you. So they make it to the outskirts of Athens, and then what? They just sort of set up camp? Exactly. The Spartan strategy was to invade, destroy the countryside, and then retreat. By ravaging Athenian lands, the Spartans hoped to draw the Athenians out to battle in the open, where the Spartan infantry could crush them. However, the Athenian leader Pericles had a different plan and ordered the population to stay behind the city's fortified walls, turning Athens into a kind of island within its own land. At this point, are the Spartans close enough to the coastline for the Athenian navy to engage directly? Not quite. The Athenian naval superiority was a threat to the Spartans, but due to the distance from the coast and the nature of warfare at the time, it was difficult for the navy to directly engage the Spartan army. The Athenians instead used their naval power to raid the coastlines of the Peloponnese, trying to stretch Spartan resources and pressure them into a naval battle. So they're mounting a counteroffensive while the Spartans are attacking? Exactly. While the Spartans were laying siege, the Athenians were simultaneously launching naval counterattacks against Spartan territories. It's a unique aspect of the Peloponnesian War, where land and sea battles were happening in parallel. This strategy was part of Pericles' plan using the Athenian strength at sea to their advantage. How did the Spartans deal with the naval attacks from the Athenians? Sparta, being primarily a land-based power, had a hard time dealing with Athenian naval raids. They simply didn't have a navy that could effectively counter Athens at sea. This meant that while they could cause damage to Athenian territories on land, they were also under constant threat from Athenian naval incursions into their territories. It became a war of attrition on both sides. What does a naval raid look like? With today's warfare, I imagine long-range, ship-based attacks such as missiles. Those didn't exist back in 431 BC, and I imagine that shooting arrows towards shore wouldn't have a great effect. You're right, Brett. In those days, naval warfare didn't have long-range options like we do today. A naval raid would involve ships carrying troops to enemy shores. Once they landed, they would carry out their attack which could include raiding settlements, disrupting trade, destroying infrastructure, or taking prisoners. The Athenian navy, being the strongest in the Greek world at that time, could conduct these raids along the Spartan-controlled coastline, causing significant disruption and damage. What's the advantage of a naval attack versus a land-based attack? Is it simply the maneuverability of the navy and the ability to attack any part of the coastline, as opposed to having to march progressively through enemy territory in a land-based attack? Exactly, Brett. Naval attacks allowed for faster and more unpredictable assaults, which were hard for the enemy to defend against. They enabled the Athenians to strike virtually anywhere along the enemy's coast, bypassing their land-based defenses. This maneuverability, coupled with the ability to quickly retreat back to the sea, made naval warfare a very effective strategy for the Athenians. That's gotta be extremely hard to defend against. Based on Google Maps, Sparta is fairly inland, away from the coastline. So the city itself isn't in any real threat, right? Unless Athens makes a full-scale invasion, which potentially could leave Athens relatively defenseless against the Spartan forces. That's correct, Brett. While the Athenians could conduct raids along the coastline and harm the allies of Sparta, Sparta itself was relatively safe from these naval assaults due to its inland location. This essentially created a standoff, where the Athenians could attack the Peloponnesian League's coastal regions, but couldn't reach Sparta and the Spartans could invade Attica, but couldn't breach Athens' long walls and its navy. This unique dynamic dictated much of the strategies used during the war. How long does this back-and-forth standoff continue for? 
This strategic deadlock continues for quite some time. Despite occasional peace treaties and periods of relative calm, the broader conflict of the Peloponnesian War lasts for 27 years, from 431 to 404 BC. However, the annual invasions of Attica and the Athenian naval raids essentially define the first 10 years of the war, known as the Archidamian War. Okay, a couple of things. First, I think you mean the Archidamian War. And then second, uh, I'm a little confused. The 27 years, is that the first Peloponnesian War? Or is it the first and, and the, the second? But the, you don't call it the second. I don't know what you refer to the, the normal Peloponnesian War. Is this just the first one, or is this the first and the second? I can understand the confusion, as the naming conventions can be a bit tricky. The first Peloponnesian War lasted from 460 to 445 BC and ended with a 30 years peace. However, this peace only lasted until 431 BC, when the greater conflict known as the Peloponnesian War began. This latter conflict, lasting from 431 to 404 BC, is typically divided into three phases. The Archidamian War, the Sicilian Expedition, and the Decilian War, or the Ionian War. So when I said the conflict lasts for 27 years, I was referring to the entirety of the Peloponnesian War. Wait, hold up a second. I thought we were talking about the first Peloponnesian War this whole time. Do you mean to tell me that we've been talking about the second, the, the quote, Peloponnesian War? Apologies if there has been any confusion. We were indeed discussing the events of the first phase of the Peloponnesian War known as the Archidamian War. The term First Peloponnesian War is used to describe the conflict that occurred before the Thirty Years' Peace, from 460 BC to 445 BC. After that, the greater conflict known as the Peloponnesian War begins in 431 BC and this is often divided into three phases, the Archidamian War, the Sicilian Expedition, and the Decelian War, or the Ionian War. It's during the first of these phases, the Archidamian War, that the events we've been discussing occurred. The overall Peloponnesian War is indeed a separate conflict from the first Peloponnesian War. Dang it, Victor, you're supposed to be the smart one. We totally skipped the first Peloponnesian War. This whole time, I thought we were talking about what happened before the Thirty Years' Peace. I apologize for any confusion. There can be some misunderstandings with historical names, as these events were named by later historians, not by the people who lived through them. To clarify, the First Peloponnesian War took place from 460. 445 BC, it was a period of sporadic conflict between Athens and Sparta and their respective allies. Well, yeah, I know that now. At this point, we've recorded an entire podcast about the wrong war. I'm really sorry for the mix-up, Brett. We can re-record the episode focusing specifically on the First Peloponnesian War, if you'd like. Despite the confusion, it's important to note that the historical context and events we discussed do provide a useful backdrop for understanding the larger conflict between Athens and Sparta, which is key in both the First and Second Peloponnesian Wars. Oh, so now we can refer to it as the Second Peloponnesian War. Yes, I apologize for any previous confusion. To clarify, when we talk about the Peloponnesian War, we often refer to the Second War, which is the larger and more well-known conflict. The earlier conflict is typically referred to as the First Peloponnesian War. Yeah, that's painfully clear now. Sorry, listeners. So just to clarify, this episode has been about the beginning of the Second Peloponnesian War. 
We missed the first one and the 30 years piece, so maybe later we'll go back and cover those. For now, let's finish up the first part of the Peloponnesian War, known as the Archidamian War. Okay, so what eventually leads to the conclusion of the Archidamian War? Again, my apologies. The Archidamian War ends in 421 BC with the signing of the Peace of Nicias, named after the Athenian statesman who negotiated it. By this time, both Athens and Sparta were heavily depleted from continuous warfare and looking for respite. This peace agreement aimed to last 50 years and required the return of territories and prisoners of war. However, it was extremely unstable and essentially fell apart in less than six years, leading to the second phase of the Peloponnesian War, known as the Sicilian Expedition. So basically both sides got tired and decided to take a break. In a nutshell, yes. The toll of the war on both sides' resources and populations was substantial, and a pause in the fighting allowed both to recuperate. But tensions remained high. The terms of the Peace of Nicias were never fully respected by either side, and conflict flared up again in a few short years. Yes, Victor. Tensions remained high. Indeed, Brett. This peace was more of a hiatus in the hostilities, rather than a true end to them. This is often the case in protracted conflicts where underlying issues aren't fully resolved. I was referring to me and you. Oh. Oh, I see. Yes, it seems we've had quite a journey navigating the complexities of the Peloponnesian War today. We'll come back next time refreshed and ready to delve into the next part of this fascinating period in history. Yeah, very true. Well, listener, thanks for sticking with us through this mess of an episode. If you have any feedback, constructive or otherwise... Reach out on Twitter. I'm at Brett Fitzgerald, and Victor is at Historian Victor. Uh, get in contact with us or shoot us an email at historyaccordingtowar at gmail.com. I'm Brett, reminding you that Victor is an AI and will frequently let you down. And I'm Victor, reminding you that even in the realm of artificial intelligence, misunderstandings can occur. Until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and stay safe. Goodbye for now. <laughs>